There are a couple of stories that go along with that be careful what you wish for thought. I'll spare you the trouble. If you want to hear them, I'd be happy to talk about them later. But uh, that's just the way things go. I, I never thought of it from my son's perspective to become a pastor's kid at age 40. That is kind of unexpected, to say the least. The psalm that was read a few minutes ago, the psalm of Asaph, that's one kind of trial we may go through. We may have a situation where we just don't get it when we see the wicked around us prospering and we see us just going about in kind of a ho-hum manner, living our life as though it's just, you know, just the way things are. And maybe sometimes we don't get that. But the very last part of that is, and then I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord. Well, we can think of sanctuary as the building, we, the room we're sitting in this morning. But I like to think of sanctuary in the broader perspective. The sanctuary of God, the protection, this wonderful haven we have in God. Job found himself in a pretty unusual situation. Uh, Job, we're going to read the text, we're going to read only 12 verses, and then I'm going to skip through the rest of it and give you some summaries. But as we talk about this this morning, just be aware that everybody has trials. And as we talk, and as Bill mentioned several times, this is the gospel that we preach. The gospel is for the unsaved. It is the good news for the unsaved. It is the power of God unto salvation. Indeed, that is true. But the gospel also needs to be something within us. We need to be reminded of it. The believers need to be reminded of the power of Christ. And that's what we think about when we start with Job. Excuse me. By the way, that's not COVID, it's allergies. Okay, just so you know. Beginning Job chapter 1, verse 1, reading the first 12 verses. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and the possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, as we look into this this morning, we're looking for just a few minutes at a series of events that covered some days, weeks, or months. We don't even know how long. But Father, enlighten us by your word. Give us insight and give us application so that we can take from this and use it in our lives so that we can be blessed, we can be encouraged, we can be nurtured, and furthermore, so that we have an answer for people who have questions. Let us be a source of light to them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll give you the, the trouble with trials right off the bat. The trouble with trials is that we fail to put them into an eternal perspective, or maybe a heavenly perspective would be a better way to put it. We hear comments about the patience of Job. Most of us have heard things like that. We could also talk about the pain of Job. We could also, and probably more aptly put it, as the faith of Job, because it's really the faith for which he's commended here. As far as the book itself goes, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, it may have been an oral history that was then written down by Moses or some contemporary of Moses. It is historical, this is factual, this is not just some neat allegory that somebody wrote to teach a lesson. I might, might go so far as to say that the story was put into poetic form at a later date, but we don't know that. The narrative itself was set in the time of the patriarchs, the time, the years of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sometime 2,500 years or so, maybe only 2,000 years before the time of Christ. So that's the age of this narrative. This was a time when wealth was measured in possessions. He was a rich man. So because this was pre-Moses, it was pre-law, so we don't have the issues of the law kind of hovering over the top of us here. I'll give you a quick summary of what was going on here. I like to use what I call the picture paraphrase of narratives. Satan, and the name Satan means the adversary, Satan comes into the presence of God as something of an interloper. The scholars dispute whether he was invited, whether he was commanded, or whether he just showed up. The scene was what's called the heavenly council. This is where God calls all the angelic beings before him. And Satan came into that. And my paraphrase of that is God looks at him and says, And what brings you here this morning? And the answer suggests, he says, looking to cause trouble wherever I can. That's the way I understand it. And that's because I have an understanding of Satan himself. He hasn't changed his character. He hasn't changed his act at all. First Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's been no change from the beginning through the time of Peter's writing to today. Now, he'd come to the right place for a challenge, 
but if you're familiar with American literature, we have such things as the devil and Daniel Webster. We have Charlie Daniels and his song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. <laughs> you know, whatever Satan tries, he's always got more than a match in the power of God. He doesn't learn well. So he asks God, or actually it starts out with God asking him, have you considered my servant Job? And Job says, oh yeah, but he's only righteous because you've blessed him, you've hedged him in, you've given him all this stuff. And with that, God withdrew his hand of protection and blessing. The short version is his property and everything he had was gone. If we go into the next chapter, it gets worse. His health is taken from him. Then his friends come, and they did okay as long as they shut up and just sat there. And then they started offering him advice, went downhill from there. Um, this was a time when God's discipline was not understood. People looked at it very much like people today talk about karma. You know, you give, you get. You're stingy, you get things taken from you. It's a give and take thing. Well, that's not the way God works, and we get a good lesson in that throughout the book of Job. The main idea, though, we're looking at here is how can a good God tolerate evil? This is the gist of the whole thing. Now, it's often spoken in anger. How could a good God allow Insert your favorite tragedy here. Well, where was God when this happened? Well, why did God? Th these are questions we ask, and these are questions that people ask us. It's an age-old problem the scholars call theodicy. It's the vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. It's a tough concept. How? Why? Well, it certainly applies in this situation. You've got a good man like Job, and all this happens to him, but now we see something behind the scenes. We see the, what's happening in the heavenly realm before this. Well, what we have today are situations where you hear things like, well, just in the form of Job in the story here, how would God allow such things to happen to such a good and holy man? Bringing it to today... We have, how does a good God allow natural disasters to disrupt power, transportation, destroy homes, and take lives? I mean, look at the recent snow and ice down in the south. How does a good God allow Christians to suffer in oppressive regimes? We can look throughout Africa and Asia, and we see Christians being persecuted to the death almost on a daily basis. How does God allow millions of babies to be aborted? just in our nation alone. How does God, how does a good God allow the invasion of a virus that has taken lives, disrupted families, livelihoods, lifestyles, jobs are gone, savings are gone, people behaving in the worst possible way? How does a good God allow that? And more locally and more recently, how does a good God allow children to attack other children, their siblings and their schoolmates, sometimes fatally? Looking at Job helps us to understand a little bit about that. You see, we don't know what heavenly conversations are being taken or undertaken right now. We don't know what's going on in the realms of, of God. So Job didn't know that 4,000 years or so after the events 
that he, un, he went through, his story was still going to be told. Job didn't know that this is preached from pulpits all across the land, all across the world. The, sta- the phrase, the patience of Job, is universal. And Job didn't know any of that. This, this whole thing gives us a good look. If we were to read the entirety of the book, it would give us a good look into the character, the being, and even the essence of God and his attributes. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 38, when God begins to unfold things before him, he says, where were you when I formed or I laid the foundations of the earth? He starts to take Job to task for his questioning and his misunderstanding. And he begins to unfold that through the end of the book. All of this relates to God's sovereignty, his will, his perfection. And understanding all that will help us in our faith. Whatever we're going through, it'll help us get through it. Whether that's something today or tomorrow. Or next week or next year. Whenever it's going to be. And it's going to help us to respond when people ask us the questions. Where is God when? How can a good God allow whatever? Well, we're going to go through a very short journey this morning, and maybe that's going to help us on some of this. The first thing we're going to look at is the person of Job. We see that in verses 1 through 5. We see an upright man, a wealthy man. Livestock was the mark of possession, or the, the, one of the marks of wealth how many people you controlled, how many people you had as servants or or employees. I did some very fuzzy math, and I came up with a value of about $8 million. He was the greatest of all the men in the East. Now, that may not compare to Jeff Bezos of Amazon, who's worth about $140 billion, but in that time, that was a bunch of bucks. He was the wealthiest man, the greatest man in the area. Interestingly, he served as the family priest. He apparently loves his children, all ten of them. He made intercession for them just in case they may have cursed God. And more than that, God identifies him as my servant, my servant Job. And there's even more in there. There's none like him, blameless, upright, who fears God and turns away from evil. And those two character traits are some things we're going to want to look at, and we'll get there in just a bit. But we look at the proposal, and this was as indecent a proposal as ever was given. This is Satan baiting God. He says, you fenced him in. You've loaded up him with blessings. Of course he's going to serve you. Why wouldn't he serve you? You did all this. And then we've already read it in the text, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. What a scary thought. What a scary thought, to curse God to his face. But when we ask the question, where was God? Why would God? Are we not possibly even coming close to that point ourselves? I think it's a dangerous question to ask. A really scary thought in there to ask is, have you ever thought about a heavenly council being around today and Satan coming into the presence of God and God saying, have you considered my servant? Insert your name there. 
Have you considered that? That may be happening. When people are tested, sometimes I believe it's for their strengthening, to work through a problem, to work through a testing time. There's all kinds of illustrations that we just don't have time for this morning on that. But think about how that may be a factor in the testing or the trial you're going through even now. God may have given his permission. In this case, he, he allowed the testing. Now, whether your theology says that he, God directly caused the events or he just allowed Satan and gave him the latitude to allow it, whatever, but it was within God's control. The testing only goes as far as God allows. Something to remember. God is ultimately sovereign, and Satan cannot exceed God's sovereignty. <clears throat> Nothing here was a surprise to God. And this is critical, because we live in a day when there are theologies out there that tell you that God is as surprised as you are when something bad happens. Let me tell you what, God knows everything that's going to happen. God stands outside of time. God does not exist within time. He knows all of time and looks at it as a package. He is surprised by nothing. The concepts we're looking at this morning here in the book of Job pretty well shoots those theologies down. A very dear friend of mine, long past now, uh, Bill knew him well, as, and Julie knew him probably even better. Julie knew him all her life. The guy's name was Gerald Bice. Gerald had a statement that I have adopted. Mistake number one has yet to happen in heaven. Think about that. Mistake number one has yet to happen in heaven. God removed his hands of blessing, and in this case he told Satan, knock yourself out with that one limitation, and then in the second round, there was a different set of limitations. But ultimately, it was all done with the permission of God. And we see the performance of Job, and this is where it gets critical. Short version of the next passage there. His ox, his donkeys were stolen, the servants were killed. That's the first messenger. The second messenger, sheep and more servants killed. The camels are stolen, and yet more servants are killed. And then children are killed all in a flash seemingly that happened boom 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 and life as job knew it ended in one motion in one moment he went from being totally secure to walking into uncharted territory and sometimes that's where we find ourselves today this is how job reacted then job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. Now, when he worshipped, he didn't do worship like we just did with a piano and a keyboard and singers or maybe other musicians on other Sundays. That wasn't the worship. Worship is assigning value to God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, yeah, we sang that earlier this morning. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. If we were reading the Psalms right now, this would be a good place for that little word that shows up throughout the Psalm or throughout the book of Psalms, the word Selah. 
The word Selah means stop and think about this for a while. This would be a good place to stop and think about this for a while. But we're not going to stop. We're going to move on and we're trying to get some perspective in this. Let's start by looking at the faith as God himself identified it. He fears God and turns away from evil. The faith here, it says the fear, this is an awe-inspiring or an awe-inspired reverence. Now, it does not preclude a little bit of knee-knocking. Okay? Sometimes that's healthy when we deal with an almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God. But it's more related to the reverencing and the sense of worship and awe we experience in the sight of God. <clears throat> we also talk about the behavior we have throughout the Old Testament a phrase, particularly with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. That was really where, uh, where Job was in this case. He lived by faith. We don't understand where that faith came from. We don't understand nothing is given us as to how he developed this relationship with God at all. We know that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know that they interacted with angels. We don't know except that God had a relationship with Job, and Job was his servant. We know it because God said that. We have, however, in our day today, we have the ability to know the source of our faith. And this is where the gospel comes into us again. We know God through our faith in Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, putting our faith, putting our trust in him, his finished work on the cross. Well, what happens, a lot of people try to get a, a walk or a behavior ahead of the relationship and the faith. They think if they get their, their life right, then they'll have the faith. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us we have to have the faith first. We want to get it right. And part of that is that it can't be a non-objective faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus doing any one thing. It's not faith plus belonging to a church or a denomination. It's not doing you know, whatever you're told to do. It's faith. Faith includes repentance, changing your way and going in God's direction, not in your own direction. We have to do it his way. We're told in the book of Hebrews, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. We have to believe that he is who he is. And that's where we would really, if we had the time, we would go to the end of the book of Job. It starts out essentially God saying, get up, take a shower, get on some fresh clothes, we're going to have a conversation. And then God sits him down and instructs him. And, and I'm not going to take the time to go there. Read 38, 39, 40, 41 of Job and read about the power, the awesomeness, the might of this God we serve. It's a marvelous, marvelous piece of writing and you hear God speaking of what he is and all he is and we have that record 
But what we look at more for today is remembering that Jesus Christ is our representation. He is the full representation of God to us in this time. He said, I and the Father are one. And he tells us that he's the only way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And I, I'm going to skip past the next next passage just for the sake of time and, and just know that there was a case of a jailer in Philippi all in Acts 16 he asked a 20 cent question and got the $20 answer he was scared for his own life and he was given the way to eternity that's the answer he was given believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved in your household but what I want to end this with is getting to the point where no matter what comes our way, and it can be any one of a number of things. We went through a list, of partial, you know, a partial list of calamities that can occur. But we get down to the case of, you know, is our faith right? And if our faith is right, is our walk, is our behavior right? Because of Job's faith, he was able to stand that trip into the uncharted territory. I don't know what your uncharted territory is. I don't even know what my next trip into uncharted territory is going to be. Okay? Satan got to have round two with Job. And in all those things, yet Job did not sin. So the questions I'm going to leave you with is, how are you doing? Can you, despite the trial, despite the pain, worship? Can you, despite the situation you may be in, not sin or charge God with wrongdoing? Can you, like Job, make that statement? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. Your word tells us all about you. As a matter of fact, we have everything we need for life and godliness given to us in your word. Father, I thank you for the message uh, embodied in this marvelous book of Job. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, whatever trial we're in today, will understand that our faith through Jesus Christ in you is what we need to get through it. Give us the strength, give us the courage to face whatever we're dealing with today. And may we, like Job, at the end, say, blessed be the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.